I was just getting into the Christmas music and I didn't realize it was my time to come up, so that's my bad. Hey, Merry Christmas to all of you. Good to see you. Thank you for the three people who told me Merry Christmas back. I do appreciate that. <laughs> hey, it is good to see you. Some of you uh, are making uh, us a part of your Christmas for the first time, and so, so we're so grateful that you uh, are with us, and we'd love to connect with you. Uh, I encourage you to text the word CONNECT to the number that you see on the screen, and one of our CONNECT team members will follow up with you at the first of the year to help you understand how you can be a part of what God is doing in the life of our church. And some of you, uh, you're here every Christmas, and so we're so grateful uh, that we are a part of your Christmas tradition, and we'll be uh, continuing to sing in a little bit, and uh, we'll be taking part in communion for those of us uh, who have placed our faith in Christ, and uh, we, we take communion, and we do that to symbolize uh, the body of Christ that was given for us and the blood of Christ that was shed for us. And it's just a remembrance of really what Christmas and every day of our life uh, is about. Something I have noticed, uh, though, is that even the most non-sentimental, non-religious person seems to have some uh, sentimentality and some religion when it comes to uh, things like Christmas. In fact, you know, some people who never go to church uh, are at church on Christmas Eve, and uh, I'm not picking on you. We're glad you're here. We'd love for you to keep coming back. We are here every Sunday. We'd love for you to keep coming back. Uh, some people who, you know, really aren't picky about foods or aren't very high maintenance kind of have like, hey, at Christmas time this is what we're gonna eat, and no questions about it, or whatever it might be. Um, some things that I like to do uh, are look at Christmas lights. I love, we just did this last night. We drove around some of our neighborhoods uh, looking at Christmas lights, and uh, you know, it's awesome to see how many people participate in that. Some of you, you go all out. If you've ever seen the movie Deck the Halls, uh, I think we have a picture of the house from Deck the Halls. There are some houses in Niceville that are giving uh, that house a run for their money, you've got light shows and music and all that. Uh, some of you, it's kind of the complete opposite uh, where you just do the very least you can um, and your Christmas lights look a little bit like this. Um, <laughs> now, I will say that something I've noticed about traditions is sometimes we really don't know why we do what we do. Now, the reason that we have started doing Christmas lights is uh, once we had electricity, it was a modern continuation of a German tradition of lighting candles to illuminate ornaments. And there was symbolism in this to the light and really the message of Christmas that the light has come into the world. And this is a major theme in the Gospel of John, which is where I wanna turn our attention to for just, few, just a few moments tonight. Now, in John chapter one, it begins and says, as, the, as uh, the girls read just a moment ago, that, you know, he is the light that's come into the darkness. Then in John chapter eight, Jesus will say of himself, I am the light of the world. And then in John chapter 12, he talks about how you can have light for your life. Now, I want you to think about that as we read a passage that has details that you probably aren't aware of, even though you are familiar with what takes place in this passage. In John chapter 20, and I'll start in verse 24. It says, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Now, a couple other translations say that it was Didymus, which that word means twin, and so Thomas was probably a twin. Thomas was not with them when Jesus came. When the Marys went to the tomb and saw that the tomb was empty, when the two disciples were on the road to Emmaus, and when the rest of the disciples first saw the resurrected Jesus, Thomas wasn't there for any of that. So verse 25 says, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, 
Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now this is why he's been called Doubting Thomas, a label that I don't think is very fair. For one reason, others doubted. John the Baptist, after preaching that Jesus was the promised Messiah, gets discouraged because Jesus doesn't seem to be bringing in the kingdom as quickly as he thinks he should be, so he sends a message, are you the one, or should we look for another? In other words, John is asking, have I gotten this wrong? Are you not really who I thought you were? This is the same radical homeless prophet who wore camel hair, lived in the woods, eating locust and honey, and proclaimed, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He doubted. James. John tells us in chapter 7 that James, Jesus' brother, who would later to go on to become the leader of the church in Jerusalem and write the book of James and be the first martyr that we know about for Jesus, doubted Jesus and publicly accused him of losing his mind. And then the rest of the disciples, after they believed and walked with Jesus for 40 days after the resurrection, Matthew tells us that as he is about to ascend to heaven, they worshiped and some doubted. How about that? Here's Jesus back from the dead. He's levitating into the sky. And some of the apostles are going, yeah, I don't know. I don't know about this. I'm still not sure. Maybe, maybe not. So the point is, a lot of people doubted, not just Thomas. And another reason that I don't think it's a fair title is that why, why he doubted is legit. Jesus was not what was expected. Jesus was not what Thomas had in mind for what God was supposed to be like. In Thomas's mind, the Messiah would come, crush the bad guys who tried to take over Nakatomi Plaza, and reward the good guys. I made some of that up there. But Jesus had shown up as a baby in a manger, dying with tax collectors and prostitutes, then died in weakness and shame. Thomas had no category for this. If you read the other accounts of Thomas in the book of John, you'll see that Thomas has started to come around to believing in Jesus, but then all at once, Jesus gets taken away and crucified, and Thomas is humiliated. All his friends had told him he was crazy for following this guy around, and now they all proved right. And lastly, people don't come back from the dead. Maybe Thomas had seen Lazarus and the synagogue ruler's daughter, but Jesus had been there with them. And maybe there was some debate on what fully happened anyway. So when the disciples come and say, Jesus is alive, he understandably says, I've got to see this for myself. And I mean, I wanna see proof that he is the same guy who we saw go to the cross. Verse 26 says that eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Which if the doors are locked to your room and you look over all of a sudden to see your friend who wasn't in the room appear and he says, peace be with you, the last thing you have is probably peace, especially if that friend had been dead for eight days. But there is Jesus and John tells us that Jesus engages Thomas, verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Jesus knew the questions that Thomas had. Jesus knows your heart. Jesus knows the things that you're wrestling with. Jesus knows the things that you're struggling through. 
Jesus knows the questions that you have. And Jesus looks at Thomas and Jesus says, do not disbelieve or do not be faithless. He's saying, believe. Believe in what? Believe in me. And Thomas does. Verse 28 says, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. This is a declaration that he is who he said he was and that he has now proven who he said he was. Jesus is God, Thomas says, and Thomas will devote his life to following Jesus. Thomas says, I believe. And Thomas would go on, by the way, to die for his faith. Church tradition says he was speared to death in India for preaching the gospel. But notice what it was that changed Thomas. As Dr. J.D. Greer says, it was not just the fact of Christ's resurrection that changed Thomas forever. It was feeling the wounds of Christ's resurrection that did. You ever wonder why Jesus' body has wounds? His resurrected body has wounds? I mean, God could have healed them. It's because his wounds are always supposed to be in front of us, reminding us of his love for us. When you have seen and you have felt the wounds of Jesus for you, they give you the ability to trust him through your doubts. Let me be totally honest with you. Not that I haven't been honest with you up until this point, but let me be totally honest with you now. I have had doubts at times. And when I was doubting, this passage really didn't help me all that much because I thought if Jesus showed up and let me touch his wounds, I'd probably quit doubting too. Anyone feel like that? Like if tonight, if Jesus showed up in your room and said, hey, just so you know I'm real, and the Bible's real, you'd be all in, right? Or even if you could get a text or an email from God just like twice a year, you know, with instructions for how to live, that would keep you from doubting. But Jesus doesn't need to do that. Look at what he says, verse 29. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is saying this with millions or billions who would read this and hear it and believe in mine. One of the movies that I enjoy watching at Christmas time is the movie The Polar Express. And in the movie, The Polar Express, uh, at the end, towards the end of the movie, all of the children who are getting off the train are given these uh, tickets. Uh, they already have the ticket, but they punch the ticket with like a word that is, is something for them, something, you know, really they need to work on or something they need to really embody. And the main character, which I just found out this week, doesn't have a name, so they call him Hero Boy. So we'll just say the main character. That sounds a little better. The, the main character, his is the word belief, believe. And, and, and the, the point is that he's kind of got this cynical nature, this skepticism to him, and he, and he needs to believe. Now, I realize that in the movie, you know, that belief might be somewhat misdirected. But, but we do need to understand that every single one of us in this room, or if you're watching online uh, tonight, uh, is a believer. We place our faith and trust in things. None of us know enough in our point in history, to not act on some kind of faith with the direction and steps we take with our life. And so the challenge tonight is really to ask yourself, what do I believe in? I would ask you, what do you believe in? And John is very, very clear about the nature of believing through his gospel. He's not referencing some kind of mental awareness 
or a mental agreement about certain facts concerning Jesus, but when he uses words like believing and receiving, he's talking about the individual who welcomes Christ, who submits to Christ, and who enters into a relationship with him. But if you and I do not approach the question of Jesus with that sense of humility and submission to God and truth, you'll never know the truth about Jesus. And so my challenge is to be honest with yourself And if you don't believe in Jesus, ask what is the real reason you do not believe in Jesus? Blaise Pascal, who anticipated the postmodern movement by a couple hundred years said, the heart has its reasons of which reason knows nothing. The heart has its reasons of which reason knows nothing. He's saying there are certain desires we have for our life which logic really doesn't affect. We are going to try to live that way regardless of what the truth is. Aldous Huxley, who was the author of Brave New World and is credited for coming up with the term agnostic, wrote in his book, Ends and Means, I had motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning and consequently assumed that it had none and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. The philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with a problem in pure metaphysics. He is also concerned to prove that there is no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to do. For myself, as no doubt for most of my contemporaries, the philosophy of meaningless was essentially an instrument of liberation from a certain system of morality. There are those who are always looking to support their belief that they do not need to be accountable to God and specifically that Jesus is not that God they need to be accountable to. I mean, even if you think about Thomas, there's, there's been these you know, really bogus claims about the gospel of Thomas, which say there are these secret sayings, but it's not in the structure of how any book would be written in that time. It's inconsistent with the teachings of the early church. It wasn't widely circulated, giving very little evidence to the fact that it had been around as long as they were saying it had. And there's even historical evidence of condemnation of these letters. So there's really no proof to that, but somebody would hear one little tiny claim or question of this and say, hey, see, I don't believe this anymore. A couple weeks ago, I preached a sermon and and I talked about the evidence of the resurrection. You can go back and you can listen to all our sermons on YouTube, but that one was called Evidently Jesus is Alive. And, And really the point in that is that the evidence is there. And I would say to you, the evidence is there if you want to believe in Jesus if you have the humility to recognize that you are a believer and that there is truth and there are going to be a lot of things about God that you're not going to understand and you're gonna find offensive and you're just going to have to accept because he is God, he is Lord and because you've seen his nail-scarred hands and feet. There's a lot of things we could talk about when it comes to belief. But Romans chapter one, verse 16 and 17 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. I hope tonight you understand why Christ came into the world. 
See, God's design, and we have a little illustration called Three Circles to explain the gospel to you. God's design was that we would walk with him, that we would know him, that we would experience the blessings of what God has promised for us. You guys can go ahead and put those slides up. And yet the Bible then tells us, and I see it as evidence in my life and your life, that we all sin. We all sin and we fall short of the glory of God. We all sin and we fall short of God's design for our life. And that results in brokenness. That's the reason, and I know there's a lot of nuances to all this, but that's the reason for the brokenness that we see in the world. And the brokenness maybe you are experiencing in your life is that we have sinned. We have pursued our desire over God's design for our life. And the good news is that God is with us, that God has sent Jesus into this world, that he came on, that's why we celebrate Christmas, he came and he was born, fulfilling many great prophecies to walk the earth sinless, to show us who God is, and the clearest revelation of who God is in the gospel is his death on the cross for our sins to make us right with God, to help us have a way to God's design. That's the gospel. And so the call on our lives is to repent and believe in the gospel. It's to no longer live for ourselves, but to trust in God's plan for our life and understand that God cares so much about his plan and design for our life that he sent Christ for us. And then the rest of our life on earth is this recovery and pursuit of God's design. That's where the blessings of what it means to follow Jesus comes in line in our life. And the call to us to Christmas, the, at Christmas, the call to us every day when we are confronted with what the truth of Scripture says is to believe in Christ. And I hope tonight that you have placed your faith in Christ and not in yourself for righteousness. And then for those of you who say, yes, that's me, I hope that we are living our lives in response to Christ's worth demonstrated for on the us on the cross and not trying to prove our worth. And, and some of you struggle and you have doubts and that's okay. I, in that movie, The Polar Express, there's a scene, it's kind of like a scary scene actually where these like toys come alive and um, they start like kind of seeing the weakness of this boy who doesn't believe and calling him a doubt or you're a doubt or you know, and, and they're really jumping on him. And what I would just say to you is Jude 1 or Jude verse 22 actually says to have mercy on those who doubt. See, there's actually a calling on the church to say, we welcome you with your doubts and your struggles and your concerns. We want you to go to Jesus. I, I love Christmas music. One of my favorite Christmas tunes is Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas. But I was really listening to that the other day, and, and I'll just use one line in that song to explain what I'm saying. It says, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. And, and it's from this movie, Meet Me in St. Louis, and the point is like, let your heart be light. Find the strength within you, and now all our problems will go away. But y'all, that's not true. I, I would say that the gospel and life is less have yourself a merry little Christmas and let your heart be light, and more the little drummer boy who realizes who Jesus is and says, I have no gift to bring that is fit for a king. Shall I play for you? This is all I know how to do. And God welcomes us into his arms. That's the gospel message. That's the message for you tonight. And the reason that Thomas was struggling to believe and the reason many didn't see who Jesus was is they were expecting a political king, an earthly king. But those who saw who he was realized he wasn't here to restore nations. 
But long lay, lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. The soul was restored. And think about what happened in this moment with Thomas. Did Jesus answer any of his questions? No. Jesus never explained to Thomas all the reasons. He just revealed himself. And Thomas suspended his doubts and he embraced what was revealed. And if you have humility to submit to him and recognize who he is, even when you don't agree or you find it difficult, you'll see it. And when your days are dark, you can hold on to his nail-scarred hands because that's what your king did for you. Let me pray. Jesus, may we all leave tonight with peace. Peace that comes from the what you have done and who you are. Even if we're struggling, even if we have doubts, may we not think the answer is to find the strength within ourselves, but to just recognize who you are and come to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.